And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. Alongside is my friend and producer, Lisa Goich. Lisa, how are you? I'm good, Mitch. How are you doing today? Everybody's okay. And uh, this podcast, if you're new to it and joining us for the first time, is inspired by the lessons I learned in writing the book and, more importantly, going through the experience of Tuesdays with Maury, where I got to sit alongside my old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and take one last class in what's really important in life once you really, really know you're going to die, not the... I know one day we all have to die thing, but when it's really right in front of you, how do you change? What do you learn? And wouldn't it be great to have those lessons now when you're young enough and healthy enough to do something about it? And it's apropos for today's podcast that I mention all that because today's podcast, I guess we could we could subtitle when a reunion calls, when a reunion calls, hmm. and what does that mean? Well, it means that we are about to re-enter a time of connectivity. Thank goodness it looks like we are turning a corner on COVID-19, and while we're hardly out of the woods, we are making significant progress. The vaccinations mm-hmm. are, are going maybe not as fast as we want, but they're going along. And, and sometime, hopefully, before the summer, we'll be in positions to go see people and connect with people who perhaps we have not had anything to do with in a year or more. Uh, because yeah. remember, all the people that you had lost touch with before COVID, <laughs> you just added yeah. on another year to that. And then you added yeah. a whole lot of other people that you lost touch with as well. So there are going to be opportunities that are going to arise about getting back together with people as we come out of this pandemic. And I think, Lisa, that people are going to find that more of a challenge than they mm-hmm. think. I think we have grown very used to this Zoom box culture. We've grown very used to the emails that say, hey, how you doing? Hope you're surviving this, doing well. Just wanted to ask you this, that, without any thought yeah. of actually connecting with somebody, without any thought of actually, hey, I'm going to come over or I'm going to spend time with you. I think coming over and spending time with people Outside of the you know handful of people who we've just been dying to do that with, yeah. i.e., our, our 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 parents perhaps who have been locked away in a in a in a senior citizen center, or or our best friend who lives in another state or a different country that we can't see. But outside of those immediate, oh yes, this is who I want to spend my time with. Mm-hmm. I, I think people have grown very used to being apart, and I'm concerned oh, yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned. I know I about have. This. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I want to tell you the story today about how I had to face a reunion that called when I also was uncomfortable with the idea of actually going face to face with this person. And in this case, it is Maury Schwartz. Now, for those of you who don't know any of the background, and there's no reason you should, there's no prerequisite, there's no test to be part of this (laughs) podcast. But let me just tell you that when I was in college, Maury and I were extremely close. I took every class that he offered. I I, uh, majored in sociology, not because I was all that interested in it, but because I had all these credits from Maury that I, right. they were all in sociology. So I, if they were giving out a degree in Maury, I would have taken that, but they didn't have it. So it had to be sociology. And we hung around the campus together. We walked around campus. We, 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 we ate lunch together frequently. 
I always joke that Maury used to eat these egg salad sandwiches, but he always would try to talk at the same time because he was so full of these great ideas, you know, uh, follow your heart and follow your dreams and your passion. Don't worry about your grades. Don't worry about. But he would forget to chew. And these little pieces of egg salad would come flying out of his mouth and you'd be sitting across from him like a hockey goalie trying to knock them down before they hit you. And so he was delightful in that way. And he was really more like an uncle to me than a, than a teacher. And on my last day of classes there, last graduation, I should say, I saw him. I introduced him to my parents who came to graduation. Oh, this is the Maury that everybody's talking about. Oh, and, and right. he said, you know, your son is so special. So the stuff that I suppose they, they say to all the parents. But when it happens to you, you feel like it's true. Right. And I had bought him a briefcase. It is the first and only time in my life I would ever bought a professor or a teacher of mine a present. I was mm-hmm. not one of those kids who brought apples to school. Uh, so mm-hmm. I didn't even know how you got a present. But I got him a briefcase. It was got to be the cheapest briefcase in the world because I didn't have any money. And it had his initials. I remember they used like a little rub thing, you know, like we rub with a nickel right. and you can rub the little uh-huh. initials on. Uh, so it had his initials uh, on it. And he took it and, he, oh, my gosh, he took it around like I had given him a solid brick of gold, you know. And uh. he began to cry a little bit. And he said, Mitch, you're one of the good ones. Promise me you'll stay in touch. And I said, I will. Promise. I said, okay, I promise. Say it in a sentence. Promise mm. me you'll stay in touch. So I said, okay, I promise, Maury, I will stay in touch. And then I left college and went out into the world. And I lived multiple places around the world. And then I came back to the States and got into the field of music. And then after that, got into the field of journalism and writing. And, and I was so caught up with my career and all the things that I thought were so important in my jobs that I did not keep that promise. Uh, mm-hmm. I broke it every day, every week, every month, every year for, get this, 16 years. Not two, not four, mm-hmm. 16 years. And it was only 16 because after 16 years, I happened to be sitting in my comfortable home, uh, in my comfortable suburb, uh, in my living room with a big television in it. And I flicked on the Nightline program and I saw on the screen a thin, sickly, white-haired version of my old professor, Maury Schwartz. And he was talking to Ted Koppel about what it was like to die from Lou Gehrig's disease. And here was a little bit of the wisdom that he shared during that program. And mind you, I'm watching it with my jaw dropped to the floor. Right. Oh, my God. Maury is dying. Chances? Yeah. yeah. And he's on the screen it. explaining how he's dying and what he's thinking. Wow. Listen. A growing sense of the interconnectedness between all of us. I don't know if we have time for me to tell you the story about the wave. It'll take about two minutes. You want to hear it? There's this little wave, this heat wave, who's bobbing up and down, I'll shorten it, bobbing up and down on the ocean, having a great time, and all of a sudden he recognizes he's going to crash into the shore. And this big, wide ocean, he's now walking, moving toward the shore. And he gets annihilated. He gets so despairing. My God, what's going to happen to me? And he's got this sour, despairing look on his face. Along comes a female wave, bobbing up and down, having a great time. 
The female will say, wave says to the male wave, why are you so depressed? The male says, you don't understand. You're going to crash into that shore and you'll be nothing. She says, you don't understand. You're not a wave. You're part of the ocean. Maury loved that story, and uh, oh, I, heard, I, like I, heard that. It, I heard it told to me about a thousand times, but that was <laughs> the first that. time. That was the first time on television, right. and I realized that in his own little way, he was sort of um, sending me a message, whether he realized it or not, that we're all part of the ocean, and we're all interconnected, and here I was with no connectivity to him uh, for 16 years, despite the fact that I had promised I would stay in touch. So this was my moment where a reunion called to me. Now, he didn't know it. It wasn't like he had made a phone call to my home and said, Mitch Album, come visit me, please. Yeah. So all of this was internal. It was all internal, which meant, I could decide to do it or I could decide not to do it. He would never know the difference if I chose not to do it. And this, folks, is going to be the type of reunion that is going to be the most challenging to you as you emerge from the cocoon of pandemicism. Mm -hmm. The ones that are not forcing you to come see them, but the ones that you know deep down you really should. Yes. These are the challenges. And how will you deal with that when it comes? Well, let me tell you how I dealt with mine. I did not call him that night. I didn't call him the next day or I don't think even the next two days or four days. Maybe not even for a week or two. I thought about it and I felt guilty about it. But then I thought, do I really want to? start this all up, you know, and then I call, then I'm going to have to keep calling because he's clearly sick. And what's that going to entail? Now, these are questions that may sound very selfish, but mind you, let me remind you, I was in my 30s, okay? I plead youth. (laughs) I can't plead ignorance. I plead youth. I was just young. I would know better now, but all right, I plead youth. So, and what do you say? I mean, that's the other thing, too. Right. You know, you have to think, okay, I'm going to make this call. What do you say to somebody after this right. long? And I <laughs> had the double whammy of not knowing what to say, but also feeling that I needed to explain myself mm-hmm. because I had promised him that I would stay in touch with him. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, so it's not just, hi, Maury, how are you doing? Oh, I couldn't hide the fact that the reason yeah. that I was calling was because I found out he was dying. That's not really like, right. you don't really want to say, hey, I heard you were dying, so I thought I'd give you a phone call. That, yeah. that, that's kind of how you're worried about coming across, right? So I debated it, and I tortured myself over it, and I thought about it, and there were many times where I looked at the phone, and I almost went, and then I, no, and then I thought maybe I could write him a letter, but then I didn't know if he was able to hold it or read it, you know, based on what I was seeing, and so I went back and forth on that, and how would I even know if he received it? And I'm sure that all of us and all of you who are contemplating this, you're going to go through some of these things yourself. You're going to go through the little ringer of mental mm-hmm. gymnastics. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of the Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are the real Brady Brady Bros. So finally, I decided to get up the nerve to make a phone call. It would be one phone call. I found this number. It was still listed. And I dialed it. And I remembered later that I used to call Maury coach when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a sports affectation, I guess. I coach, how you doing coach, that kind of stuff. I had long since forgotten that. So I dialed his number, a nurse answered, I told him, the nurse who I was, and she uh, handed him the phone. I heard him say hello, and I remember I said, hello, Professor Schwartz. I didn't even call him Maury. Hello, Professor Schwartz. Mm-hmm. My name is Mitch Album. I was a student of yours in the 70s. I don't know if you remember me. And the first thing he said to me after 16 years was, how come you didn't call me coach? Ah, he broke the ice for you right there. Exactly. Not uh, Mm -hmm. where have you been? Or, Mm -hmm. oh, look who just came out of the woodwork. Or, oh, yeah, okay, I'm dying. Now you're calling me. More often than not, folks... When you make that first step, you will find that people are warmed and comforted by the fact that you made that step. And that thing that you're fearing, oh, they're going to spit it right back at me, Mm -hmm. is not likely to happen. And it didn't happen with Maury. He never once made me feel guilty about the time I had away from him. And we spoke on the phone for a little while, as long as he could. And he asked me, you know, what was happening in my life and if I found somebody to share my life with and things like that. And, you know, by the end, he had softened me up so much that when he said, would you come visit me? Mm-hmm. It was no question that I said yes, because guilt is a very powerful motivator. Yes, but now yes. here came the reunion call in its real form. Here came the would you come and see me? It would be great if you could come and see me. And so now I was faced with, okay, uh, now here's a real reunion. I thought I could get away with it with doing it halfway, a phone call, which isn't really quite a reunion, but some people in this day and age think it is. Don't think that it is, all right? (laughs) Don't accept that a phone call, therefore, we're back in touch again. It's not the same. If it's somebody that you really cared about, and I really did care about Maury, make the effort to go see them. Because mm-hmm. I, w- I made the effort to go see Maury. And I arrived there. I've told this story before in the show. I arrived there. I was so wrapped up in my work that I was working at that point like 120 hours a week. I had f- three or four full-time jobs and then a bunch of freelance and part-time jobs. And 
in newspapers, radio, and television. I was on ESPN uh, for several nights a week, and I would live up there for a few nights, and it, it was crazy. And when I landed in Boston and drove a car out to Maury's neighborhood, I was actually on the phone talking to ESPN about some piece I was doing or whatever. And I drove down mm -hmm. the street and Maury was waiting for me outside on the curb. A nurse had asked him, he had asked the nurse to bring him out there so he could greet me right when I got out of the car. Mm -hmm. And I saw this. Now here's a real reunion. You know, here's that moment, right? And the moment of reunion, yeah. you know, you get out, you hug. That's the moment of reunion, right? Yeah. You get out, you hug. He's, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. Oh, it's so great to see you again. Oh, you know, and you think, boy, you've been waiting for 16 years. You're going right. to rush to when you get that opportunity. So I'm on the phone in the car coming down the street and I see this figure in a wheelchair and I realize that's Maury and this is what's going on. And I hit the brakes. And of course, the proper thing to do at that point is to take the cell phone that you're on and throw it in the window or out in the back seat mm -hmm. or whatever and say, you know, I don't have to deal with that. I'm going to get out of the car and run and give this man a hug and we're going to have our reunion. And I would like to say that that's what I did. I would like to say that that's what I did. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, but I did not. What I did do instead was continue talking on that telephone, but drop down below the dashboard, making like I was looking for my keys on the floor or something like that, yeah. you know, as if someone would check on me. And I actually stayed down there below the dashboard so that Maury couldn't see me, finishing that call mm -hmm. with ESPN, because at that point in my life, work came first and everything else could wait. Even a dying old man could wait. The reunion could wait, because I have my work to do. Well, mm -hmm. I can't tell you folks how ashamed I am of that story, even now, 26 years later. In fact, it's 26 years right around now, because I think Maury was on... Nightline in March. Yeah. And it still shames me to tell that story, but I tell it because there are other people who would do that too. Mm -hmm. And they may be listening to us right now. So learn from my mistake. You don't want to have that feeling later in your life about, oh my God, I got, finally got back to see somebody and I stayed on a telephone and hid from them so I could finish a call. Yeah. I can't remember <laughs> what that was about. That I'm sure it didn't matter. I'm sure it could have waited, could have waited hours, days, weeks, whatever. But I had to do it then because my work was so important, more important than the actual reunion. And thank goodness Maury, A, didn't realize what had happened, and B, was kind enough to not ask, what took you so long to get out of the car? You know, uh -huh. he, he didn't ask. I just got out and he was happy. And he invited me in. And the reunion began. The reunion began. And... He spoke about many things, but what he did not speak about was success or money or anything like that. He didn't talk about any of those things. He didn't ask me, you know, like, how are you doing now? You know, what are you, uh, what are you accomplishing? What are, you know, what, what, what's your job? What's your anything like that? He just asked, you know, are you happy? Have you found somebody to share your life with? You know, what, what, what are the things that are interesting to you now? Stuff like that. And, the other thing that he didn't do was he never felt sorry for himself. He never complained mm. about anything. Uh, quite the opposite. He started to rattle off things that he was learning about dying 
while he was going through it. Same as he had to Ted Koppel in that initial broadcast. They were things like this. Nine million people out there, give or take you yeah, know, half a million here or there. Nine million people who are watching you right now right. and saying, what can this old guy tell me that's going to help me when I get to a similar point? I mean, we're not all going to die the same way. I can give you a number of statements, didactic, one, two, three, four, that may or may not mean anything to you. First, talk about it. Don't hide in the corner. Don't try to conceal it as if it's something horrible. Because all it does is destroy your self-esteem. And it's very important to keep that self-esteem. Two, accept it. This is you. You are a disabled person. I am a, I'm not ashamed of that. As long as I have my mind and my heart. Three, keep an open heart and open it up further and further and further until you encompass as much as you can with your love. Sounds kind of soppy, but it's not. It's not. Four, be alert and aware to the things that really interest you and go for it. Be involved. Five, be compassionate. Be compassionate to yourself other people? Six, treat yourself gently. Be kind to yourself. You didn't create your illness, so you shouldn't be punishing yourself for having that illness. Okay, yes, I said something about morning before. The morning never stops. There are some mornings when I cry and cry and mourn and mourn for myself. This is my sorry pass. I got dealt this hand. Some mornings I'm angry and bitter, but it doesn't last too long. I heard that and many things like that mm. during that first conversation, long, meandering conversation of a reunion. And by the time mm -hmm. I finished, and I have to tell you, I planned... I think I, I got in there like about, I don't know, 11 in the morning. I had mm -hmm. a 3 o'clock or 2.30 plane already booked to leave. And right. I switched it to the 4.30, and I switched it to the 6.30, and I switched it finally to the last plane that they had out at whenever that was, 8 o'clock or whatever, because I stayed there so long listening to Maury talk about those type of things while he was dying. Yeah, And when I drove back to the airport, the reunion finished, the first stage of it, I said to myself, you are 37 years old, which is how old I was, and you are perfectly healthy. He is 78 years old, and he's dying, is likely to be dead in a matter of months. But he seems 10 times happier with his life than you are, 10 yeah. times more content with his life than you are. What does he know that you don't know? And I began to go back, not to write a book. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I began to go back to have my eyes opened to learn again from this man who had been very comfortable as my teacher and me comfortable as a student. 
But this time, why was he so calm? Why was he so wise? What did he understand about life that I didn't know, even though he was down to its final months? Yeah. And you can see where this reunion has led. Yeah. It ultimately led to, you know, this one of the most critical relationships in my life. It led to a book that knock wood, I wrote to pay Maury's medical bills, and so his medical bills were paid and his family was taken care of. And then his family has been taken care of even more as a result of it. Mm-hmm. A good thing to have happened. Uh and then many ancillary things came out. The book sold Millions and millions of copies around the world that is now being taught in schools from here to Tokyo. And there are Chinese versions of it. There's German and Swedish and, and Russian and, I mean, 40, 50 Everything. languages that it's yeah. published in. And he's not even here to teach it. And yet no. all those people are learning from him. And all of that came as a result of yeah. not being afraid of a reunion. Mm-hmm. So when that reunion calls you after COVID, don't be afraid. Who knows what might come out of it? Mm-hmm. And take that step. You know, had you not made that call, it wouldn't right. have happened. And I think it's 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 important for people not to wait for somebody to call you, but for you to reach out to them. That's right. Exactly right, Lisa. And that's going to become more and more of a challenge as we come out of this pandemic because we are used to being at arm's length. We are used mm-hmm. to losing touch with one another. We can always kind of write it off as, oh, maybe maybe they got COVID and they've been battling it for a long time. I've had that happen during this pandemic, someone I haven't heard from for a while. And, uh, you know, I do call, did call them up and or wrote them and said, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? No, you know, I got to tell you, I had COVID. I went to the hospital for three weeks. You know, it's crazy. I felt really wow. bad. And you feel really terrible because you find this out, just as I felt when I saw yeah. Maury was dying from ALS. But at least you got back in touch with them. And now you understand why they didn't right. reach out to you, et cetera. Well, there's going to be a lot of people like that. You're going to re-encounter people who have lost their jobs, people who have had to move, people who have had to, uh, you know, really upend their existences because Mm -hmm. of what COVID did to them or maybe did to their loved ones, or now they have to take care of, uh, you know, their, their, their parents or their sickly parents or someone that was a, there was a huge medical bill as a result of it and they didn't have the money for it. All kinds of things can happen. You're going to, you're going to find out the damage that this has done when we start connecting Mm -hmm. back with one another. Don't let that be an impediment for you to make that call as Lisa pointed out, and get back together with those you love. You never know when it might turn into a Tuesday that turns into a Tuesday that turns into another Tuesday that turns into a changing of your life, which really was what happened to me. A reunion absolutely changed my life. So we hope that helps as we start to uh, crawl out from under the rock and get out into the sunshine of our lives here. And we do this every Tuesday. If you like what you heard, of course, we always appreciate if you leave us a comment, a rating, or anything along those lines. And you can also go to wetuesdaypeople.com on the web to find out more about our show, past shows, discussion groups, and all the rest. Mm-hmm. On behalf of Lisa Goich, who produces this program, my name is Mitch Album, And until we are talking again, I say to you as I do every week... 
And as Maury said to me when I finished that first reunion, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people. <laughs>